Hello and welcome to the Amateur Football Podcast. I have a very special, special guest. I have Bobby Dean on the show. How are you, how are you doing, sir? I'm not too bad. You all right? Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. And uh, it just says right there that you're running to be an MP for Cashel and, and Wallington. Could you could you go in, into that a little bit more? Yeah, so Cashel and Wallington is one of the parliamentary seats we've got in the London Borough Sutton. It's basically the eastern half of the borough. Um, we don't know when the general election will be, probably sometime next year, but when it comes, I'll be the candidate for the Lib Dems. Um, it's a super marginal seat, so we've got high hopes, but you know, taking nothing for granted, you've got to keep working hard. Also, you are a mental health champion as well. Could you could you elaborate in terms of um, what you do? Yeah, so I'm a local councillor at the moment, and one of the briefs I've got at Sutton Council is to be the mental health champion. Um, so it just means keep an eye out for all the sort of policy developments in mental health uh, and trying to progress mental health in our borough as well. So um, I'm working on something called Be Well Hubs at the moment, which is trying to roll out uh, sort of trained mental health people throughout the borough so that you're never more than 10 minutes away from somebody who knows where to point you in the right direction. Could you give me and also the other viewers three tips to improve our mental and physical well-being? I think the first tip is that it's finding your own sort of well-being piece because for, for me and we're going to talk about this it's always been sport it's always been football that's been my release but for other people it'll be different things um, my wife she's in a choir that's how she goes and gets a escape from the world um, every week um, I think you just got to find something that when you're doing it you don't think about anything else and I think that's key to get a release from your your daily stresses so yeah top thing find the thing that works for you um second thing i think is talking and conversations i know it's become a bit cliched recently about talking conversation but there's one thing talking about talking and another thing actually talking right i mean how how many of us know that it's right that we should talk but don't actually do it with our friends and even our family we, we struggle to do it so talking is key and third and i think it's important is if you are really struggling and it's more than just a well-being issue you need to go seek help you need to go make sure you speak to your gp or speak to somebody you trust about potentially getting further help if you need therapies or medication. There's no shame in that. If you're in that place, you need to go and and get it. And there is still too much stigma at the moment, I think, in going to that next step. There's kind of a little bit more public conversation about how we can talk about our mental health, but people still see it as another barrier to go and get sort of professional medical help. Um, and so if you are in that place where it's persistent and it's not temporary, and it is affecting your life in negative ways, you need to go get proper help. Talking about help and and like a change of environment, um, at, at 15, you like started to live with your grandparents. Um, how was that, that change um, from living with your parents? And again, you know, if you could talk about why why you d- decided to live with, you know, with your grandparents. Yeah, I mean, in short, I had a bit of a family breakdown. Um, my parents had me quite young and it was always quite tough, right, growing up, to be honest. Um, and it come to a head when I hit my teens, and as, as I think it does in lots of households. Uh, and uh, the best thing for me at that time was to move out of the household. So I moved in. I was grateful to have my grandparents there that could take me on. Um, it's something called kinship care is a term that I've learned in recent re- years, which is when family takes on family. It's a bit under-recognised. Lots of people are familiar with like the formal care system and fostering. But um, yeah, I was in kinship care without knowing it, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I was really grateful to them for to give me a different environment and put me on the right track. Um, at the time, obviously, I thought nothing of it. I just thought this was a, a good thing. 
that you know I'm I'm in a more peaceful household and and so on. Um, but later on in my life, I realised it was affecting me in different ways. I mean, being separated from your parents is a trauma. Um, just just for context, I didn't uh, you know there was there wasn't much engagement with my parents for a long time. But in my twenties, it was actually getting formal therapy um, that helped me come out on the other side of it. And I have a good relationship with my parents now. I got married earlier this year and they were both there on the top table with me. But, you know, I, it's not something I would have foreseen 10 years ago, but, it, but that, that happened. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, um, major life experience, like particularly when you're young, can can, can hold, on, hold on to you and affect you in lots of ways long into your life. And I only really sort of wised up to that um, in the middle of my 20s and how it was affecting me. Mm. Uh, but at the time, yeah, you don't know these things. Can you remember your first day of therapy and literally how like were you feeling and and uh, when you kind of came out of the therapy session, um, what was your initial feeling and emotion? Skepticism. I think I, I think I went in with skepticism, and I think I probably went in with skepticism for the first few, feeling like what's actually happening here. I had the impression that you go into therapy and you say stuff to them and they go right well here's where you're going wrong and here's where you, you should fix this and actually you should do that now and actually no that was wrong and you do this and by the way have you thought about it and and it's not really like that it's more them guiding you through your own thoughts and so at first i, I, I was getting impatient with it thinking this person's doing nothing but then you realize that they're highly skilled in making you come to terms with your own thoughts and process your own thoughts in your own way and it clicked after I don't know how many sessions, but it clicked over time rather than in the moment. My, my first session, I, I come up hugely skeptical. So I would say, if anybody does start that process, you've got to be persistent with it. What was the best piece of advice anyone has given you, and also the worst? Oh, that's tough. Um, when it comes to advice, I always think back to my uh, my granddad or my pops, the one that I lived with, and he always said, "Work hard, play hard," and I think that that helped. So I've always I've always recognised the the um needing the balance that you burn yourself out otherwise if you're working too much i think i've always been one of these people who quite enjoyed work get distracted by it kind of get really focused kind of get a big kick out of working hard but needing that space to to let off so right now running for parliament there's loads of pressures on my diary all the time there's always more i can do there's always another door i can knock on and so on but I have carved out those Saturday afternoons for me to play football. And that's kind of, my team know that. And it looks a bit silly in a diary sometimes, like, oh, he's got football, so it feels trivial. But no, I've kept that. That's my thing. So I've kept that in there. Um, so work hard, but make room for play. Uh, I'd say best one. Um, what's the size? Um, well, I, I kind of, I kind of don't like a lot of these sort of Instagramish cliches at the moment. I can't, I'm not sure I'm going to pick on one, but where, where we've almost got this kind of toxic positivity going on right now, where it's like everything is a good thing and everything is a well-being thing, and um, you know, bad behaviours are getting rewarded as just being me, and I'm going to be me. And I think that's not, that's not great advice because sometimes you are the problem, right? Sometimes you do need to improve as a person. And just kind of like excusing yourself of all your own behaviours um, is not a healthy bit of advice. So, yeah, I am what I am is also probably a bit of bad advice. Have a look at yourself. You can be proud of who you are, but also you might need to change. So be open to that. And uh, and we like said something off air about that shirt. I'm not too happy about that shirt, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm happy this year. I, I don't know if I would have worn it the last two, three years because it's not been a happy time being a Spurs fan, but we're back. We're back. So um, as football always uh, rewards you, you always get your chance to say we're back. So, yeah. Sometimes we can 
we can talk about mental health or mental well being as a kind of trending topic or you know as a kind of cliche and for yourself running um for you know uh, cash on and wallington there has to be an element of sacrifice there's got to be an element where you are going to push your push your body and you know push your mind through certain levels what is that kind of distinctive line where you know um we kind of have to talk about sacrifice and hard work but also talk about protecting our mental and physical well-being i'm still learning it to be honest i think probably some of my background has made me quite resilient and well suited to politics because um you know I, I i can manage my emotions because i've been through stuff and there's not a lot of things that will bother me so when you're getting all these uh, sort of attacks from the opposition and some of it can be quite personal i can i can brush that off and i think that that probably helps uh, but i'm still learning you know I've, I've been a candidate for two years it's quite a long time to be a candidate actually a lot of people were selected closer to the election and in that two years i've changed how i've dealt with things already um in terms of how i engage with criticism um I, I've, I've not actually posted anything on social media since the spring i kind of took myself off of social media for a while i mean i've been talking to my team about that and i am going to make a comeback soon because i realized that there, there are some people who expect to be kept up to date what i'm doing online and can't just rely on me turning up on their doorstep or delivering leaflet through the door so I, I i think like yeah if i want to be a good mp i do need to communicate online too but i took myself out of that space for a while because i just didn't think it was healthy mm. um uh, as well so yeah I'm, I'm still kind of finding my way through how to manage politics obviously the big thing is being in kind of like the local public eye. so i will i have started to get recognized down the pubs or when i'm out in the park with my dog and you know, you, you have to be prepared for the fact that even if I was just walk, like this morning, I was walking my dog and somebody stopped me for a chat. I don't mind that, but you know that you've got that in your life now, and you have to manage that as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's still a learning process, but I, I am consciously trying to think about yeah how how it impacts me and um, yeah other sacrifices. I mean, like even like family planning. You know, me, me and my wife have been together a long time, but we're we decided that um, we're going to put kids off until after the election, no matter what happens to the election, win or lose, but just bringing a baby into this situation right now where it's going to be high stress in the next year of my life would be would be too much. So, think, so you know, there's sacrifice like that where we've actually changed our family plans um, for, 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 for the sake of this. So, yeah, it's a lot. Do you ever take work home with you, good or bad? That's a difficult question to answer because uh, work is life now. Like you know when you're going for this it's not really um it's not really a job there's not really an end to it like um it's more of a lifestyle choice i'm kind of always turned on a bit really i've always uh, you know there's always i there's things like the inbox that i can close you know i can i can shut down the laptop and not look at emails but you know there's no real time limit to when i might be involved there, there's evening events there's daytime events there's always stuff to attend at the weekend so it's but i kind of enjoy it right i like you wouldn't do this unless you're a people person i enjoy speaking to people so these none of these things are hardships for me not all these things are things i enjoy but i feel like um this role isn't really a job it's more of a a vocation or a, a, a lifestyle thing it's kind of always happening you know the weekends um luckily my wife is like very understanding she's a local councillor as well actually um and um she's involved in politics and she gets it but she doesn't mind you know us going to the community event at the weekend we both enjoy doing that community event but also they're in the capacity that i am in so yeah 
it's 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 all good. I, I don't I don't feel I don't feel like I'm in a bad place of it. I feel like I'm in a good place of it. I feel really comfortable with my life at the moment. I think I'm striking the balance right. I'm enjoying it. Um, so yeah, I recognise there are a lot of pressures. I think a lot of it shouldn't be there because I think it might be putting some other people off of getting into politics. But um, I'm in a good place for it. Mm. And um, you know, like you don't look a day over twelve. So I mean, <laughs> so, so so you know, you um, when we met, and uh, and it was very poignant for me how how like, much you wanted to actually meet people and. And it can, and again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing that your team and your network, you know, feel exactly the same. Yeah. So for, for, for me, speaking to people directly is the big thing. Like I said earlier, I come off social media because I thought it was clouding my head. I think only particular people tend to, to engage in some of the political discussions online. And um, I want to make sure that I'm like staying in touch with everybody in the community, really. So going door to door is something I do most days of the week I, I you know out here out there but i i probably i probably go i don't know how many times a week five or six times a week often um and all over the borough as well right so all over the constituency so that you just meeting different people all the time and i find that fascinating it's like you know you're just getting little insights into everybody's worlds and what they care about and you find out new things sometimes um and you know that you can go away and work on them so that's the best way really obviously you read newspaper articles you watch the news there's papers and stuff you can read but none of it is as real as just meeting people and uh yeah that's kind of one of the things i enjoy the most really about it just getting to meet new people all the time like like you coming up to me in the street that time when i was knocking your road so yeah and then um, you just mentioned something about um care, caring about what other people do apart from politics and football what else do you care about well um i, I suppose most of my career has been in international development so working with sort of charities overseas on poverty health education stuff like that um so that's a big passion of mine um i set up my own business in 2017 to to, to basically work with charities um in that area and I still do bits of that now because you're not paid to be the candidate. So this is um, how I still earn my income. Uh, so, yeah, that's another passion of mine. Particularly, I think the world's problems are our problems as well. Um, actually, my, my wife is in the same sector. That's where we met. She works with Save the Children. She's actually in Nepal right now working on a project. So it's just me and the dog at the moment. At home. Um, we, we lived overseas together for a while in Uganda. Um, so, yeah, that's a big passion point of mine. I, I really think that. UK has to sort of take responsibility for the world it lives in as well. So kind of global issues are a big thing for me as well as just the sort of local stuff. Mm. So let's uh, let's talk about football. So um, you play for a, a local team? Yeah, I play for Carl Shelton. Um, so not not Athletic, uh, which, which have got a stadium, but Carl Shelton Football Club. I think they're probably older, actually. They're in Bennington Park, by the, uh, sharing the ground with the cricket club. Mm. I'm trying to remember what it says on the badge. I think it's 1898. So they've been going a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been playing for them for the last couple of years. I love it. Uh, like I said, it's my release. We're, we're in the Southern Amateur League on a Saturday, if you know it. Um, last couple of years have been quite successful. We won the Cup last year. We got uh, promoted last year, but the year before we won the league as well. So it's two successive promotions. We're doing all right. I'm enjoying it. It's good. <laughs> and <laughs> and Lucy, how like important you know is that kind of banter and that? And that tribal feeling when when you kind of come together before, during, and after a game. 
Yeah, it's great. I mean, like, I, I say that I love the, the Saturday afternoons, but it ain't just about the 90 minutes, is it? It's about turning up before, seeing people, being in a completely different environment. Um, you know, everyone's left their baggage at home. Everyone comes to the game just to, to meet their mates and play football. Afterwards, in the in the clubhouse bar afterwards, you know, it's just, that's it. That is that is the release. It's not just the minutes on the field. It's the whole thing, isn't it? That is the, that is the release that I love. Um, and, 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 you know, watching too is the same thing. You don't just go to watch the game. You go for the before and the after as well with, with, with people. So, yeah, love it. Um, it's the best thing. And it's, and it's probably like the only thing I talk about with my mates, right? Like all my closest mates I've known basically through football. And the only thing we ever talk about in our WhatsApp groups and stuff is football. I literally don't know what we would talk about. If we didn't have it's just, it sometimes, it sometimes feels like it's the only thing keeping us together, you know, like all these years. We're arguing about a VAR decision at the weekend for two days. Like that's, 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 that's how I stay in touch with my friends. And I think it's true for a lot of blokes, right? That, that um, there's always jokes about like blokes meeting up and you don't have a clue what's actually going on in their life sometimes because you've just chatted about football. But, um, but it's addictive. It's what we do. Mm. And uh, talking about men and and their feelings and and like leaving baggage or stresses at you know at home. How important is it for us men to kind of come together and and also share our our problems and also share our kind of high 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 notes as well? Because again, you know, I don't want to talk about mental well being as just a like a kind of Debbie Downer or kind of you know like an a kind of negative thing because there are some positives as well that we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think it doesn't happen enough on the on the negative side, but I do definitely see it on the positive side. Like um, you know, first people to praise stuff like someone's had children or got grades at university or uh, got a new job. There's always that sort of first congratulations from that network. I think that's good. Um, I think that the very least that what football does is give you that network that you can rely on because I think otherwise, uh, I don't know, from my experience, men can be quite insular. They've got their, they've got their work and their work networks um, and they might have their family, but then they don't just go hang out to hang out for a lot, a lot, a lot of the time. Uh, sake. So, so having football gives you that network to know that you could maybe speak to somebody. I think people need to do it more, um, but, yeah, I think I think it is beneficial to have that network that you know is there as well. Yeah, and and I'd like love to know your short to medium plan. I mean, a lot of hinges on when this election is called for me. I mean, this is this is the thing. Like, um, we don't have a date to work towards. Um, it's all up to the prime minister. So my life is in kind of suspended animation until until it happens. Um, we think it could be next May. There's other rumours it could be in the autumn. Uh, it could be any point in 2024. So my one sort of short-term goal is is the election and hopefully winning. Um, if I if if I win, then that's the next few years of my life up up to 2028, I guess, or 2029, sort, sort, sorted because I'll be an MP and I'll be working on what I can in Parliament to to try and make people's lives better. Um, if I don't, then obviously I've got a big decision about how how I want to. Uh, carry on in the role or not I mean it might might depend a bit on the manner of the defeat I mean I'm I'm local I live here um, I'm not going to be moving away anytime soon so there's there's lots of um, there's lots of reasons why I would stay on actually and try and win it the next time because actually that's what my predecessor did 
Um, a guy called Tom Brake was the MP for 22 years, but he didn't win on his first run, he won on his second. And I guess it gives it gets him a chance to build up his personal name, be doing stuff for people on the local level and uh, and eventually win the trust of people. So, um, yeah, but you don't know how you're going to feel until until that moment passes. So, yeah, unfortunately for me, my, my um, short and medium-term plans are up in the air until I know the outcome of this uh, election. But... But either way, I'm probably going to be trying to stay involved in social change in some way. I've done it with my business. I'm working in international development. Um, I've obviously committed myself as a local councillor. I'm running to be an MP locally. I would stay involved. It's just how, like, it's just in what capacity I would do that in. Why is South London such an amazing place? And actually, when I say South London, I'm talking Cashel and Wallington, Wallington, Sutton. Like, like, why is it such an amazing place to actually live? Yeah, I don't know. I've lived in the south of London since I was 18 now. So, so I'm from Essex originally, um, but moved, moved up to South London. My mum my signed from South London, they're from Croydon. Um, so kind of moved back, really. Um, but I don't know, it is special, isn't it? I've always, I, and you really feel intense rivalry with, with like sort of north of the water as well, which is, I, mean, I think... You know, you know, like, it's crazy because, you know, I'm, I'm originally from like Leeds and I didn't realise yeah. that there was a north-south divide in London. I, I didn't get it until I moved. Yeah. I'm like, I've always lived south of the river, but I totally... Yeah, it's a little, a little bit east v south as well, isn't it? It's a yeah. bit more sort of east v south as well, where people further... I mean, I used to go out at least quite a lot in sort of Shoreditch, Chatley in that way. Yeah. But, but you, you just kind of feel like... Um, South is more special. We've got more green space to start. <laughs> 100%. Uh, it, it's a bit more affordable. I mean, everyone gets priced out north of the water as well, I think. And uh, there's just that sort of, that real mix of people, right, as well. We've got such diversity in South London. Um, you know, Brixton, Croydon, Lewisham, Lambeth, um, and Sutton as well. You know, all, all of these places are pretty um, diverse. So then you get with that everything that comes with it, the, the, the mix of cultures, the mix of, uh, food mix of celebrations like it's um yeah it's a special place i've lived in lots of places um over, over, over the years but um yeah yeah south london is a special place well we could have talked about like the kind of current climate right now with with housing with cost of living with also sometimes i see a detachment of the community um, if you were going to be elected what would you do to kind of rectify those issues yeah, well, you mentioned housing there, and I think it's at the core of a lot of our problems in society at the moment. Um, we, we, through, through uh, a lack of progress, basically, in building homes in the last 20 to 30 years, we've ended up in a situation where we're, we're back to Victorian times, which means that you can own a house if your parents did, and everybody else's opportunity is pretty much cut off. Now, there are exceptions to that rule, uh, but not, not, not many, uh, unless you're given direct support or you inherit a house, um, you pretty much got no chance because in the 90s it was something like three or four times your income the average price of a home now it's seven or eight times right and um people talk about interest rates and saying well the interest rates were even higher in the 90s yeah but it was on a much smaller value of homes so it was still affordable to people and the rental market as well um, wasn't as congested 30 years ago you had a lot more council homes taking the pressure off of the rental market we've lost over a million council homes in the last 20 30 years uh, what that means is all those people that should be in council accommodation, more affordable accommodation, are squeezed into the rental market, making it even more overheated. Uh, and so the prices are rocketing to the point where nobody can save. In fact, people can barely 
survive at the moment with with the rents on top of the um you know energy bills and food bills and everything else let alone save to, to own a home so i think housing is at the crux of a lot of our issues that we fix that problem um then a lot of other social ills will will be healed um and i'm very passionate about that uh, one thing i do want to say is that people think that building more homes means that we need to have all the infrastructure to come with it and to and, and to an extent they're right national government does need to step up and invest in things like our nhs and our schools but people forget as well that an awful lot of our housing crisis at the moment is because people are overcrowded so it's not necessarily more people <laughs> it's people living in more comfortable conditions i mean in my 20s you know it was normal to share a house with five six other people with no living room completely normal because that house has been converted so one house has been converted in something where six people live and you just have a bedroom and you all share a bathroom and nobody's got a front room anymore that's normal right you've also got families massively over uh, crowding into like one bedroom flats two bedroom flats um emergent not to speak of emergency accommodation so so yeah building new houses and having more spaces for people to live in doesn't necessarily mean more people arriving in your area it just means that people are living more comfortably and, and more suitably really as well so yeah bit, quite big on housing um as a as a solution to a lot of our problems really and i think the, the key is building more and also within that making sure that well not majority but a good sort of 40 50 percent of what we build needs to be council homes because we, we sold them all off under right to buy uh which is a, a fair aspirational policy that's fine you know people want to own their home that's good but we didn't replace the stock and that's where the problem's been um the st helia state you know in our area you know that used to be one of the largest council states in europe it's not anymore not because we knocked it down but because we've sold it off and we have and, and all those council homes aren't available to us anymore so here in Sutton, we've got thousands and thousands of people on the waiting list and they all get so frustrated with us as a council as to why they're not being housed yet why they're still in emergency accommodation there's simply not the units there they haven't been built so that's what we need to do we need to we need to get building we need to in particular get building council houses you let mentioned about uh, education in, in like schools briefly we as adults we can we can just about navigate um you know there's like still a lot of education that i still have to you know learn and and i'm kind of in, you know trying to invest my own like you know kind of knowledge into things that i just don't know about it's the it's the next generation it's the younger generation it's kind of kids who are eight nine ten eleven or even in their teens that are going to be more affected right with everything mm -hmm. going on yeah, definitely. I mean, and I'd say this generation, my generation are being impacted now and the next generation will be impacted further. This this, this is a slow, gradual process, uh, but um, we used to have a thing in human history where each generation lived better off than their parents. And I think that that is just starting to turn now, where actually the, the previous generation or so will have it better than their kids in terms of access to uh, being uh, to, to jobs to the quality of those jobs the pain the conditions of jobs the security of those jobs but also the quality of their housing the, the ability to purchase housing as opposed to renting it um all those things seem to be going backwards just about now so it's just a warning shot i think to everybody that like things can get don't only get better sometimes they get worse and uh we, we need to now turn the tide on that <clears throat> um you know also this generation of kids have, uh, have, have lived through schooling during a pandemic as well and i think uh, we, we can't forget that how, how impactful that's been and actually we need special attention on that generation that's gone through uh homeschooling for a long period and you know reduced social skills because they were separated from their uh friends for so long 
we, we actually need additional investment, not just like to get us back to where we were, but to go beyond to, to, to support those children in particular. There was actually a report done um, about a year or so into the pandemic by somebody who said that the catch up funding we need for education is about 15 billion. And I think the government come out and pledged like, I don't know, it was like 10 percent of that. It was it, it wasn't it wasn't enough. And so things like that we need to fix. And uh, if like, people want to contact you or kind of get to know you a little bit more, how can they do that? Yeah, so my email address, um, and they do all come through to me, is info at bobbydean.co.uk. Uh, it's probably the simplest way just to drop me an email. Um, I've also got an office uh, opposite Carshalton College in Rive Green on Nightingale Road. Um, between 10 and 6, people can drop in there and make appointments with me and, and see me directly. Um, yeah, and all the usual ways, suttonlibdems.org.uk is the website. You can find out more about me there, some things I've been saying. and. I suppose I should say social media. I need to get back on social media. But you can, if you type Bobby Dean onto Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I've got profiles. They're going to start firing again soon. Um, yeah, so I'm on all those as well. Oh, great stuff, great stuff. And literally all of the details will be in the description. You know, something I didn't ask you, uh, what position do you play? I'm a right back. Been a right back for a very long time. There was, there was a period where I was right wing back under a back three system. Um, and uh, the other week, for the first time in my life, at 11 side, I played um, CDM. Oh. Uh, and I, yeah, I absolutely loved it, actually, just because I don't get to, like, be in the middle of it that often. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I'm a right back. Yeah, I've been a right back for some time. So, literally, would you compare yourself to uh, a Gary Neville or, or like, someone from, from like, Spurs' current team or past? <laughs> Probably more um, Emerson Royale than (laughs) bit more work work horsey than um, (laughs) delivering Kevin De Bruyne balls into Son's feet. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, It used to have a bit of pace, but it's uh, declined. Um, But, you know, that's what happens when your your knees and your hips or whatever start going in your 30s. Um, But but I I think I'm probably still regarded as legs in this team because most people in my team are, are, are are older than me. I'm one of the youngest people in my team, actually. Um, so I'm 33, but a lot of people are older. So I've, I've managed to some, somehow maintain some legs credibility uh, just by just by being one of the younger people in my age group. But um, yeah, yeah, right back. Well, hard working right back. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I love that.